0: ...transforming
1: musical linguistic
0: objects... Greetings from cyberdelic space, this is Lorenzo and I'm your host here in the psychedelic salon... Well today I'm going to play a recording from the 2002 Mind States Conference that Kevin Whiteside sent to me. It's a talk that Earth and Fire gave titled, The Role of Drug Geeks in Society. Actually, I think they just called it drug geeks, but uh, as you'll hear from their talk, there's uh, a lot more to it than just being a geek. <laughs> not that anybody really wants to be a geek, huh? Other than people like you and me. Anyhow, I'm assuming that you all know Earth and Fire from their website, Erowid.org. That's E-R-O-W-I-D.org. And if you haven't been to the Arrowid website, then why not? <laughs> you know, it's always my first... Stop when I've got a question about one of our sacred medicines. And In this presentation, Earth and Fire tell us uh, a little bit about how Arrowhead.org came to be and what kinds of drug geeks uh, some of us maybe are. I don't know, do you think of yourself as a drug geek? <laughs> I hadn't really thought of it that way until I heard this talk, but uh, well, let's just listen to Earth and Fire explain what they mean by that term and then you can decide for yourself.
1: So the, um, the, our talk this morning is um, about uh, drug geeks what we call drug geeks and their role in uh, sort of the wider community
2: when we started uh, we, we sort of talked a little bit about how Arrowhead was created and when we started Arrowhead we were mostly creating it for ourselves and for a few very close friends and as we, as, as we started to get visitors we didn't have any idea who those visitors were Um, We could sort of guess, but pretty quickly we had a reasonable number of visitors, and we didn't, we sort of just imagined them as being, you know, general people within the community of people interested in psychoactives. We didn't really have a very good idea of who they were.
1: After a while, it became sort of obvious that the people, a lot of the people who were visiting the site regularly, the people who were interacting with us, were people who were a lot like our friends in our community and us. Um, And we, in the last couple of years have begun to characterize people as drug geeks, for the lack of a better term. Um, we would love a different term because some people really don't like being called a drug geek, even if they are
2: um, uh. um, so, so we've sort of been developing a, a, a concept in our own minds of this character because in order to help us better serve the needs of, the, of the, this particular character type that you deserve it a lot. Um, and so the drug geek to us is an individual who self-identifies as being knowledgeable and and um, interested in psychoactives. And beyond that, they're more than inter- more interested in they're they're interested in the details of psychoactives enough that if say a question comes up, they're, they're just you're sitting around with your friends and a question comes up and. You're willing to actually go and try and find the answer to the question. You know, you may maybe you'll go and you'll look that up on the web, or you'll you'll pull out a book and try and find the answer to the to the question. You know, you have a book that you can pull out that might have the answer to the question.
1: Um. Um, you know, a lot of people who come to conferences like this are actually you know, sort of fairly classic drug geeks. Uh, not not everyone, but or or maybe you have friends who are drug geeks or partners who are drug geeks, and you've been dragged along or something. <laughs> but the 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 general. Character that we've encountered or uh, have all of our friends, uh, our drug geeks, The um, it's it's not that uncommon a character in the people that we meet, um, but it is like in the general population when we go and sort of meet meet people at parties and and other contexts where people haven't, we haven't gone somewhere like this, or meeting meeting people. Um, most people aren't spending all of their time focused on information about psychoactive plants and chemicals. I, I, don't, I don't know what that's like, I'm not going to be off them. I don't know. Really of them, I don't
2: know. Um, uh, one of the first things I would say about the drug geek character is that it has been somewhat surprising to me over time as I've had this concept in mind that really... Uh, this particular character doesn't necessarily use a lot of psychoactives. They they, they might, but they don't necessarily. There's a a whole range of people who are are more interested in the information than they are in actually taking the psychoactives. Um, And
1: In in some ways, that that relationship, uh, the relationship to the information and to the the substances as uh, less as sort of a thing to ingest and more as kind kind of a hobby and interest provides a potentially longer-term relationship uh, for people. Uh, there's some there's something to do when you're kind of a little tired or burned out of, of, from taking LSD. You can spend all of your time trying to figure out how it works and talking to the people about how it works and, and looking up references on it. And so it's, it's sort of interesting, interestingly, in the people that we've gotten to know, that there's there's sort of this, uh, a lot of times, people who aren't really interested in the information when they're younger um, will often sort of take a bunch and then stop. And that's sort of this kind of, you get tired
2: of it. Uh, and so over over time, we have we've developed a, a, a sort of concept of a number of subtypes, of, of broken down, break the, sub, break the drug, drug geeks down into subcategories. Um, first of these, uh, these are in no particular order, first of these is, the, is what we're calling the collector. Um, the individual who likes to collect substances, and sort of the, the, it, the concept is, often to collect as many different <laughs> types of... I see people raising their hands out there. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we could have a little stand up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, like to have a small sample of as many different types of psychoactives as they can. And often it's not enough for a dose. Often the plant isn't even necessarily to take them. But it's to have sort of a collection of, of reference samples of various types of, of psychoactives. The first, the first time we, we encountered
1: that, I, I, I don't know, I just meet all these people and interesting types that we encounter and the first time we encountered that was, I don't know, six, five, five and a half years, five years ago or so. And we were talking to this, this person who was very knowledgeable and he said, do you want to see my baseball card
2: collection? And we're like, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe, I guess. It and seemed he, relatively obvious that he was talking about something related to psychoactive plants and chemicals, but we had really no idea what it was that he was But so we, you know, we
1: went to his house and he uh, pulled out this, this, you know, this box that was filled with bags, you know, paper bags with plastic bags inside, and um, Little
2: bits of tinfoil, you know.
1: He had little vials and, and you know, things. And, and he pulled out each one one by one, and, and they were all labeled very carefully. And he would describe, you know, where he'd gotten, sort of generally where he'd gotten the substance. You know, he had 2CD. He had three types of 2CD. And he had, um, oh, this 2CD was produced in Santa Cruz by a, by a chemist who is you know This 2CD was produced here. And, um, oh, and, and the time, and he told this little story about, he, like he tried the 2CD, and, and he told, sort of described the story. But a lot of things he hadn't taken.
2: <laughs> and, he, he out, he and he would pull up. Um, he, he would pull up vials and have camera. He would pull out a vial and, and smell it and have you smell it as he was telling the story about where he, you know, where he met the person who, you know, who had given him this and how, you know, what his experience had been. And it was, it was you know, very interesting. and
1: so it, since then we've met several other, like enough, like, I don't know how many, but more than four or five other people who qualify as the collector kind of You know, they're, they're mildly interested in trying the things, but they're substantially more interesting in having this sort of array in a collection. There's one, one of our friends, net friends they call them, um, is looking to create a, a little Paperweights of you know plastic encased one one dose of each drug and inside of a clear plastic case kind of thing and um, he's seen that with in, there's there's like you go to the DEA or sometimes they'll have these little paper I've seen these paperweights with uh, like a, a single dose of some, some a scheduled substance and so he's wondering if maybe they're accepted uh, uh, from the law by virtue of being completely inaccessible
2: and, and totally unusable. Um, a few other examples of the collector character type would be um, people who collect uh, LSD blotter art. That's a relatively relatively common one. Or people who collect. We've had we've had people submit um, images to us of their collections of ecstasy tablets, where they've, they've got you know 50 different imprints of ecstasy tablets, or you know that sort of thing.
1: The next subtype that uh, we talked about is uh, the the taster. The, uh, the taster is the the person who wants to have tried everything. Um, uh, these are people who sort of pride themselves on having tried it. every substance that they can, they can get their hands on and often won't necessarily be interested in trying it a second time um, and so they'll a lot of times this geek character will sort of Talk of, sort of you know effusively about their one experience with this with this drug, and and um, that's a
2: and be able to compare the various experiences. You know that's sort of part of the concept is to be able to compare the to, to by having tried everything once, be able to compare the experiences of all the various combinations of, of substances. Um, I think perhaps D.M. Turner is a is an example of, of a character like that who sort of you know wrote about you know about a wide variety of, of chemicals. Um, next character type is the daredevil. Um shows some characteristics with the taster, but um, in this character type, it's, it's sort of about pushing the limits of, of dosage and experience by doing higher dosages and having stronger and more you know, mind-bending experiences than, than other people have had on the substances. You know, probably not the safest of the character types. It's um, so not entirely
1: clear that this is sort of drug geek type. A lot of times login in people who are sort of aren't really... Um, interested in, in gathering information, which is sort of part of the definition of the geek, um, but is more kind of just a crazy, you know, <laughs> get fucked up kind of model.
2: But there are, but there are.
1: But we've met, we've met daredevils who, I mean, they're interested in sort of exploring the ranges beyond what most people have taken, sort of In learning. order to be
2: able to write about them and share about them and, and, you know, and document those experiences.
1: The um, next grouping, which is a pretty large grouping, is a group we call the plant geeks. Uh, the plant geeks are the people who focus their degree on the plant kingdom. Um, they, you know, they grow things. They, they collect seeds. They um, they spend all of their most of their time focused on sort of the developing and gathering information about plants.
2: Um, you know, gathering information about the you know academic all all variety of information academic historical cultural you know use of, of psychoactive plants psychoactive plants um, and sort of the relationship between humans and plants um, as, as allies.
1: Uh. The, a bunch of the plant teams we've met have been very much on the lower use, lower frequency use uh, line. People are sort of gardener types, and they they will, like, uh, like taste the plants kind of while they're working with them, while they you know, trim the plant and, and taste a little bit, but aren't really looking to trick it often. It's fairly common.
2: One, one plant that we... Perhaps one of the earlier plant geeks that we sort of, well, maybe that's not true, but, uh, um, that we met was, uh, we met in a sort of tropical area, sort of, this sort of, this sort of area, who had a, lived in, in that area and had a, had a garden, both an outdoor and indoor, um, greenhouse garden, and had a wonderful wide array of, of plants, psychoactive plants that they, that they grew, and we visited and were taking photos of the plants while we were there. <laughs> and, um, you know, we got to one plant and, and she asked not to photograph this particular plant um, because, you know, she had a special relationship with this particular plant and she was, you know, didn't want to ruin that relationship by, by sharing that with the outside world and didn't want photographs taken of this particular plant. That's sort of the, you know, uh, one of the characteristics, I, I would say, of the, of the um, you yeah, know, probably all, like, all I, I, keys, I, I, of the plant key. I think that, you know,
1: it's, we met other, like another, another, uh, person that we know, their entire house and their entire yard is just filled with salvia. You, you go to their, you go to their house and it's just sort of, you know, <laughs> you know kind of stepping over the salvia. Hundreds plants. and hundreds um, of plants. And there's, you know, there's, you know, another cactus, uh, person, another plant. Eat, cactus collector, um, has his cactus collection spread over like five properties, and he's got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these cactus, and he, he's growing them from seed and propagating them, and, you know, that's all his, his entire focus is just on, on the cactus.
2: There's obviously the whole world of, of mycology, that's this whole separate field, you know, mushroom collecting, mushroom hunting, mushroom cultivation, um, the, you know, knowledge about that particular field.
1: Where are we? Um, so then there's, there's sort of the op- another obvious subtype is the chemistry, the people who spend all their time focusing on chemistry, and you might put you know, Sasha in that grouping or um, a variety of other people.
2: Um, the ones who are always drawing molecules on napkins and the other, they're, they're showing them to people. I um, have sort of a funny story about that from Burning Man this year. We were at Burning Man and we had, we had, our, had a dome that the Aeroid Dome, you know, mostly people just coming by to visit us. And um, we had a whiteboard up on the wall so people could leave notes and so people could draw things if they were, you know, for whatever reason. And we were sitting there one day and a, and a, a chemist was, we were standing and talking with a, a chemist and he he drew a picture of... methylene Aminorex. Aminorex, isn't it? Is that right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So... Um, <laughs> He drew, he drew a uh, methylendoxyaminorex, which I'd never necessarily seen before, and he asked if we'd heard of if whether anyone had made it or whatever, and we, we had a little discussion about that, and, and he left.
2: And, and so that was the, we had this little molecule drawing now on a whiteboard on the wall, and a little while later, a couple of people came in, and we were talking to them, and one of them we had never met before, and he, he looked over at the wall and was like, oh, that's sort of interesting, and he went over and stood in front of it for a minute, and sort of thinking, and... He started drawing. He started drawing out a, a synthesis path for for this particular molecule, and drew out and and looking at it for a little while. And I was like, that's not quite right, and, you know, changed a couple of things. And I was like, yeah, and you know, I mean, I don't know nothing. I oh, good, you know. And, <laughs> 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 and, and then they left. And then, then they, the, the first chemist
1: came back, and and he's like, oh. Well, that's a pretty good idea. Yeah, that looks like that. <laughs> and through the next, we left that up because so we thought that was just so funny. Um, that over the next couple of days, several other chemists came by and were like, oh, and we had this discussion and, and that they were, several other chemists confirmed that yes, that was in fact a, a, a fine, a proper synthesis of methylene dioxyaminox, even though methylene aminorex has never, to our knowledge, been made by man. Um, so it sort of this novel,
2: weird. <laughs> Um, I'd say the next, the next, uh, and last character type uh, subtype that we have is the photo geek. I'm one of those um, people who like to collect photos of drugs, um, sort of avoid the illegalities of actually ever possessing any substances, and instead just, you know have pictures of them all. So, so if, if you if you um, you know have me come up to you and this week and say. Can I take a picture of that? You know, you'll know why that is. I, that's what I, I mostly ask people if I can take pictures of it. We them. were at an outdoor
1: party a couple of years ago and um, we were, it was like 3am or something like that and, and uh, this nice little wave of a girl came up and said, you know, do you need any E or anything else? And, and I said, I said no, but um, could we take a picture of the exit or something? She's like, oh, I don't, I don't know about that. I, I don't know about that. Um, I'll have to go ask my boyfriend. And so, um, we walked over to her boyfriend. Uh, who was obviously the person who was carrying all the material. And, um, uh, and she asked him, it's like, well, I don't know. I'm like, well, um, I don't know. Have you heard the website Arrow? People who run that. Like,
2: oh, hey. great. <laughs> and so we, um, uh,
1: we then spent the next two hours sort of talking about sort of the drug trade and sort of, you know, taking pictures of all the things he had. And, um, <laughs> uh, so we're definitely sort of in the photo yeah. category. Um,
2: when we talk about this, it- it often, to me, when I, tr- I try to think of how things sound to the general populace, sometimes and sort of the druggy characters often sound sort of obsessive. You know, you can do sort of odd characters who are focusing on this, you know, unaccepted field and you know very, you know, obsessive characters. And but. <laughs> Most of the most of them is, it's just they you know it's the, it's the hobbies it's, it's like being a gardener or like being a mechanic or like being a you know whatever it's just that the field is so un um, It's um, marginalized, marginalized and pathologized
1: in the wider society. The one of the ways that so that we have this image of this drug of this set, several different subtypes of characters who form what we call the drug geek um, and it's we've, because. We've interacted with so many around the site and, and sort of we realize that a, a fairly substantial portion of sort of the power users of heroin or, or other information resources are qualified as sort of drug geeks or academic types. Um, the, we've, we've sort of looked into sort of how to think about that and one of the things we've come across is the idea of transactive memory or transactive knowledge, uh, which is, and I, I think the phrase has come I uh, was, uh, Created by Daniel Wegner, um, who the, the model is. Sure.
2: Um, the basic idea that he talks about is, um, he talks about it in a couple of ways, is that within any given grouping, he talks about it mostly in terms of families, I believe, um, that within given groupings, social groupings, um, the tasks and information storage in memory is are sort of divided up among various among various people. That within say a couple, um, one person might be the expert on a particular topic, and because they're the expert on that topic, the the partner who's not the expert doesn't even really try to remember information about that particular thing because their partner is the holder of that particular memory. They don't you don't need to. I don't need to. Be able to remember all the things that he remembers. You know, it's more efficient if we sort of each remember half of it. So the
1: idea of a transactive memory is that you, your memory is stored in a sort of you can you can retrieve memories through a transaction of some sort. And there's this idea that in, in in any organization or organism, the various knowledges about how to do things might be stored in sort of individual members that aren't you know like you might the example that a, a friend gave was that if uh, that you don't need to learn something if you know an expert at, some, you know, at, at that topic. That you're sort of, you, can, you can sort of leave that out.
2: A couple of other good examples of that that I, I liked from Daniel Wagner were um, um, between men and women, information about, like, like men and women in, in couples, information about child rearing before they have children. It's pretty much, you know, women store that information and the men pretty much don't. I, I thought that there
1: that's interesting. Uh, There's a little bit of anthropology into it that um, that has looked at that and has seen that basically if you give, if you tell men information sort of casually about about mm-hmm. baby stuff, you know, they're boys mostly, and you give the same kind of presentation to girls, and then quiz them later, a lot of times the girls will have retained it better just because they have sort of self, self-identified a lot of times with retaining that information, where boys have sort of self-identified as not retaining that information. And so there's, there's effect with, um, uh, in the Drug Geek kind of model, that people who self-identify as knowledgeable on the subject are more likely to retain the information, where people who don't self-identify as knowledgeable will not retain the information as well. And that sort of pertains to the wider society because the uh, tr- the education system, sort of, in a lot of ways, has told people to not be self not self-identify as knowledgeable about about psychoactive drugs. That um, there's sort of this. The sense that I was taught, at least in in high school, that you know there isn't all you can really know is sort of how to avoid them. You can't really sort of like learn to have sort of a rational relationship with them.
2: There's a couple of ways that that particular role within a community can and can um, can play out, and sort of opposite sides of it are in one in one example, the the drug geek can be a resource which. Um, which empowers the people around them because they've got access to the information through this particular knowledgeable person around them. They're more likely to learn things because they've got somebody around who they can ask questions of, who can who can who knows how to go and find the answers to particular questions. Um, and so and so the sort of that in that model, the the people around the drug geek all develop their knowledge to a greater degree because of the drug geek. And in the other example, the the drug geek is because the drug geek knows so much, the people around them feel as though they don't have to know as much. Because they can always just go and ask the question, you know, the drug geek will tell them how much MDMA they should do, they don't need to know, they don't need to have that information themselves, they can just go and find that, you know, when they need it, and they don't have to, you know, somebody else will take care of that for them.
1: And so one of the sort of, the sort of, this sort of danger side of of the drug or the geek character is that, there's an example is sort of in modern medicine, a lot of people, it seems, um, uh sort of disempower themselves around doctors, where doctors will, will tell them something, they'll prescribe them something, and they won't themselves go and look up the information about it to verify it. A friend was describing uh going to South America and, and realizing that he wanted to take um,
2: uh, anti malaria anti malaria
1: pill mphacklinome whatever that is. <laughs> anyway, um uh, and he just he, the doctor prescribed it for him, and he sort of he sort of assumed it was a good idea to take it and started taking it, and got really sick after taking it. And then when he went and, and looked it up, he realized that in fact that it has very high incidence of uh, liver problems and other other types of problems. And he realized that he had sort of just uh, sort of given over the power of sort of medicating himself to someone else, and hadn't really sort of taken responsibility to kind of figure out whether that was something he really wanted or not. And so there's definitely sort of, when you, if there's this, if there's a character, if there's characters, like, for instance, like heroin is in, like, one of the problems that I have with, with doing Erowit is talking to people, a lot of times they ascribe far too much authority to the things that might show up on the site that, then is really appropriate. Because any particular document or anything that we write could be several generations away from being accurate. <laughs> um, and so that's sort of a problem.
2: Um, sort of along those lines, One of the problems for the drug geeks is that, as an expert, it's, it's, it sometimes can become, it's a fairly obvious thing, but, um, can become somewhat easy to be dismissive of other people's views as well, that, that because you're the knowledgeable, you know, because the particular drug geek is the knowledgeable person, um, it can be a problem by, to not be accepting the feedback of the people around you, especially in a field like, of, like psychoactive plants and chemicals, because they're really, it's not like the answers are all out there. The answers are, in fact, coming from people who are, who are using them, and so, um, there needs to be the sort of both directions of communication about that.
1: The One of the things that um, makes uh, drug geeks slightly different than geeks in other other uh, contexts, which is, I mean, geeks in a lot of contexts sort of fill the role of providing new information, um, like in computer geeks, a lot of times the hackers and things are the people who are sort of discovering a lot of the sort of new information. But with drug geeks, it's even more sort of Present that it's a lot of the types of research that, like Jonathan Ott or um, uh, Sasha Shulgin and stuff, is sort of you know not exactly illegal, but they're certainly not sort of funded by NIDA and fun, you know funded by the by your tax dollars.
2: So one of the interesting things about that is that we sort of got this view a bit when we went to NIDA is that in the establishment, from the establishment <laughs> viewpoint, it's surprising if new data comes out of the sort of you know, drug-using community. In the drug-using community, it's kind of surprising if information that's useful and accurate comes out of the establishment. Mm-hmm. And, and so um, one of the examples we have of that is that um, <clears throat> Edward Boyer, who wrote an article on... He wrote an
1: title, article titled, uh, Websites with Misinformation about Illegal Drugs, which
2: was published in the New England Journal of Medicine August of 2001 and because of that it, it talks a bit about Erwin and because of that we've got he's, he's a very very nice gentleman we've gotten to, a chance to get to know him a little bit and he told a story about um, he actually contacted us which I, had, I, didn't, I hadn't connected this with him he contacted, contacted us a couple of years ago um, to ask us about the information we had up about GHB addiction problems people were having with addiction with GHB and um, to ask where we had gotten that information and how long we had had that up and he was noticing that um, we had started publishing information about that pretty close to if not before anything had ever come out about that in, in the sort of scientific journals. And he just thought that that was the most amazing thing and you know, oh, how could that possibly be? And, and you know, that's sort of this really interesting, it's like, well, I think of that as happening all the time. You know, how would how would the journals know that there was a problem with GHB addiction if there weren't people who were experiencing that who were probably writing about it or contacting us and telling us? It seems quite likely that we would... Or, you know, or telling...
1: I mean, it's it's not necessarily us, but, like, you know, it's it's obvious that the people who are using the things and the people who are trying things are more likely to know the sort of the ab reactions and things like that than the people who are sort of only occasionally talking to them. Um, One of the um, other stories... Uh, that I don't know if people know Kit Bonson, but she works at the FDA, and uh, she did a sort of an internet survey uh, in the mid 90s, I guess. She was trying to find out information about the interaction between uh, SSRIs and psychedelics, and was, was asking people if they had tried uh, taking Prozac or whatever, and then trying LSD or mushrooms or MDMA, and asking asking people whether or not uh, they experienced a decrease in effects and things like that. And she um, she was completely blown away at the time, she said, by uh, how sophisticated the responses she got were. She got she got emails back from when she sent out put a thing on Usenet or something and, and a couple of emails, and she got these replies back, um, which, you know, sort of Cited as you know, sort of essays citing a series of you know uh, journal articles and things that she'd never heard of. She'd never, you know, she had looked into the into the area and, and had failed to find a number of things that didn't point out to her by people who were just sort of the drug using community. And so that was that was something that was struck out to her.
2: And then people would people would write in and talk about the pharmacology of you know the the interactions of the you know neurons and you know how the, how various chemicals and various combinations of chemicals were you know interacting with. And she was just she was extremist front for that. Yeah, and the, well,
1: the, the other thing was that, I mean, sort of simple, we talked about this a little bit yesterday, but when we went to NIDA, um, their expectations were so low for us that when we showed up and, you know, were able to speak in complete sentences that that they were completely, they were completely surprised. And they were very surprised. We've had I had four or five hundred people comment on how surprised they were how sophisticated we were well you, you people really seem to know what you're talking about <laughs> it's, like, it's like well I mean that's what I do with all of my time you know I don't I mean sure I'm not I don't have a PhD but um, I don't know why i want to on here well that sort of leads into the next point <laughs> um,
2: that another sort of interesting point for me is that the drug geeks are in my experience um, probably just as often self-educated as, as classically educated that they you know there's a certain a number of the, of the drug geek types who who go and, and get their you know get a degree or a higher degree in the field of, of you know their their choice of geekery. Um, but most often the the interest the, the the development into the drug geek character comes before they go and get that education. They're doing that in order to further their drug geekery. Not they aren't becoming drug geeks by going to to a, a university and, and gathering the information that way.
1: Um, oftentimes, the, the the sort of the information that they, the the geek community knows is information that's not even available at universities. You can't like um, while you you know like for instance, if you're a person who's really interested in chemistry, you might go and get your chemistry degree, but they're not going to teach you how to make LSD. They're not going to teach you how to make uh, MDMA. Probably, I mean, maybe you are not going to
2: be able to learn how to you know what the what the you know details of uh, cultivating selvia are by going to, you know, a botany class because they're not going to be, you know, focused in that particular direction. Um,
1: where are we? Also,
2: the... Here's one, one of the things that I have here is, um it's... Part of, part of the concept for us in, in thinking about this character is that because it's such a large percentage of our audience, it's, it's not all, but it's certainly a large part of our audience, is how to present information which better serves that particular community, helps them to better serve the communities around them, as well as how to, um, through acknowledging this particular role, perhaps help those people to better um, understand themselves with it, better recognize that they are playing that role. And, um, Treated in a way which is is most useful. So we
1: like one of, the, one of the things that really like kind of crystallized this thing was a couple, a couple of years ago. We had um, one person write in who said, um, you know, I'm the I'm the person in my in my peer group um, uh, who is the source of information. I know where to look things up. I have the books. Um, I have I have all of this, but. I can't, I can't find the information on this particular topic. Um, and so, you know, we, it's sort of, that sparked this, this ongoing kind of conversation, uh, between us and other people we work with about, about that person who is actively trying to inform the people around them. It's sort of, it's a lot of, a lot of ways like what DanceSafe is trying to do, um, by sort of creating sort of a peer-based network to, of, of information for, providing. But, a lot of times, the people that we interact with are um, more focused on information than the people that Dan Sage is mostly trying to communicate with, which is sort of the user community. And the the question that comes up for us is, um, how can we sort of provide tools or create uh, systems by which accurate information can get dispersed more widely into kind of the geek
2: community? And one of the one of the problems with that is that. Um, if you have, if we have these characters of drug geeks who have their clusters of friends around them who they're providing information to, how do the, how do the clusters of people around the drug geek know that the information the drug geek is providing them with is accurate? Um, if the information that they're not, that they're being provided isn't accurate, that's, this is an extreme. This is a, a large problem with this particular system. You know, if you because if you're giving your trust over to this person to provide you with the information, um, in a lot of cases, that's happening because those people aren't the type of people to go and check the data and check the references and ask for references and make sure that that's in, correct information. But so how to how to balance those two two sides of it to make sure that that the systems. Work and that people take enough responsibility for their own um, information gathering to double check things or make sure that the person that they're trusting has the (laughs) information.
1: One of the um, so we're we're mostly done, but one of the one of the ideas that you've talked about which is not, we haven't really done talked about very seriously is like for instance the idea of like a, a drug geek certification course or something <laughs> like that where, where you would you would, um, you would take your first level drug geek free, you know, uh, class and you'd go through and you learn the basics and, and one of the, you know, like what are, what are memes that need to be spread about about how to be a drug geek in relationship to your community? Like one, like for instance, um, providing references to the things that you say, um, and and encouraging people who hear a uh, drug geek speak to ask them where that information came from. Like one of the one of the things that's really sort of missing in a lot of the interactions that we uh, experience is that somebody asks the question. And they accept the answer that they're given without sort of asking the next question of, oh well, how do you know that? And where does that come from? And what's the what's the source for that? Um, is there, is is as important almost, or perhaps as important as the sort of the, the, the strict answer that you're given?
2: I have one other note here. We skipped slightly earlier, but um, it's also interesting for me to know that um, the druggy characters are not only the ones the people who are more likely to go out and search for information and therefore more likely to be the people who visit Arrowhead but they're also the people who are more likely to collect the information from their friends and submit it back to us. And so it's sort of this two-way relationship that they're the people we're communicating most with. They actually care to be helping with the gathering of the information as well. So right.
1: Yeah, I think I that, think you know, it's incredibly important to provide information without making recommendations. That seems like that, that's really important to me. And it's, it's really difficult to frame... Uh, information in a way that it doesn't just become a recommendation.
2: You People know, take things as recommendations, even if you say this is not a recommendation. Um, so, how to communicate to them that you're really, really, really not recommending this, you're just telling them what you know. Um, it's
1: well, to me, I mean, I think, I think that the, the academic character the, can definitely be one of the most, you know, an extremely important part of friends and family and community and wider
2: culture. And Andy, I mean, I think even with a bit of obsessiveness in there, that that's, I mean, I in, in some ways, I want my information provider to be a little bit obsessive. I mean, I want them to actually, you know, go out there and find out the answers to things, and I want them to, and so, you know, you want to do that in some level of moderation, I think. I, I, would, I, I would
1: prefer more, more moderation. More moderation. <laughs> I would more moderation in my own life. I mean, I, you know, I would rather sit down and read, you know, journal articles that go running. And so, I mean, it's sort of like, oh, okay, I'm going to set this down. Oh, <laughs> you know, okay, I'll we also, also enjoy it a lot, so, I, you know, we're not... Um, and so that's, I mean, it's definitely, I mean, for me, that's a difficult thing. I don't, I don't know over the long, sort of, I, I continue to try to work on ways to incorporate, you know, like I have to go to walk to the mailbox in order to um, get the journal. mailbox articles. is a long way. <laughs> <laughs>
2: A, a, a another subtype I was thinking about that earlier is the, is the um, sort of I- exactly that the people who who have who pay attention to and have, have probably read up on techniques for walking through people through difficult experiences and have had knowledge about how that goes and, and have and are the people that people come to when they have those experiences I think a lot of a lot of times facilitators right I think a lot of times the people who are sort of you know
1: book knowledgeable people often, and because people go to ask them questions about, you know, so how does LSD work again, you know, those people end up being sort of dragged into situations like, you know, oh, this guy's having a bad trip, you know, you deal with him, you know about LSD. And so people who are not necessarily appropriate for that, have not, don't have any training for that at all, um, get pulled into those situations. And that's, I think that's fairly common.
0: Ready? Um. So, are you a drug geek or not? If so, what kind of drug geek are you? <laughs> My bet is that most of us have uh, probably fit more than one of those categories at one time or another, or probably still do in some regards. Now, uh, those of you that know Earth and Fire are are you know really aware of how modest these two people are and from their presentation that you just heard you you might think gee you know isn't it great that these two nice people have published a little website with such important information (laughs) but let me tell you Arrowhead is no ordinary website just listen to a couple of uh, these statistics uh, from their site actually these came from the November 2005 newsletter they sent out Uh, Daily visitors. This is how many different people come to their site every day. 47,437. Pages served on a daily basis. This is how many different pages people look at each and every day. As of November 2005, it was up to 447,926. Now just just think about that for a minute. On each and every day of the year, almost 50,000 people read close to a half a million pages of information that they're provided free it's for anybody who's interested. And by the way, those 50,000 visitors each day are not just uh, drug geeks, although it... Warms the cockles of my heart to think there could be that many out there that are coming by every day. But law enforcement officers, parents, doctors, they're also among uh, each and every day's visitors. This is a, a huge online resource and one that I think is really unparalleled anywhere on the net. And all of it started with, you know, just two people Earth and Fire. Of course, now they have some help from Sylvia, Christopher, and good old Scott Oa, along with a few dozen other volunteers who helped out in crunches. And get this, this entire operation is supported by only 1,150 donors. Now, Quite frankly, I don't know how they do it with so little support. Which brings me to my next point. If you're not already one of the 1,150 tribe members who are helping to get this important information out to the world, then... Why aren't you? You know, even if you can only afford a gift of $25 a year, it'll bring be a, a big help. And even that level, you'll receive their excellent newsletter, which is published a couple times a year. So just go to arrowid.org slash donations and you'll find out about that. You know, along with uh, the maps bulletin and the entheogen review, the uh, Arrowwood newsletter, which uh, they call Arrowhead Extracts, is a must-reading if you really want to know what's going on in the psychedelic community. So, thank you, Earth and Fire, for all you've done and continue to do for our community. and You know, you guys are just at the very top of my list of drug geeks I admire admire greatly and a big thank you to John Hanna for producing the Mind States conferences Kevin Whitesides for making this recording for us and of course to our friends Chatul Hayuk for the use of their music here in the psychedelic salon and to all of you uh, who have joined us again here today uh, hey thanks a lot for being here it's really nice to know you're with us for now this is Lorenzo signing off from cyberdelic space